Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now, another edition. I'm Raghu Marcus, and uh, happy to be here again. This talk from Ramdas is taken from a prison. Can you? I mean, he did a lot of talks at different prisons, uh, and this one's from way back, May 1973, and it's about the doctrine of reincarnation. An interesting subject to bring up at a prison. Um, and uh, but it's a great talk, really great talk. Uh, and he, um, in his usual style, is able to uh, really expound on a subject that is uh, very difficult and uh, and probably not at all um, available if uh, to understand if you are strictly sticking in the old rational mind. Um, but it talks about, you know, you come in and you have a particular package that you get birthed into. And, um, but, uh, you know, your previous incarnations, of course, you do not remember. And there's a good reason for it. The veil goes up because if you have to go through a certain amount and kind of suffering, and if you were aware of the past incarnations, you just wouldn't go through it. Certainly not in the same way if you had that awareness. If the veil had not dropped, you would have never done the stuff that burns it out, burns the karma for the thing to work. It has to be encased in a veil. The thing, meaning your life and your the evolvement of your incarnation, right? Um, it's and he does it. It's all perfect. Every part of the birth you are taking is part of the unfolding or the working through of the stuff you need to do. There is not one experience you are having or could have or have had that is not part of that process. Everything you are working off each in each incarnation is making that veil a little thinner. Right. So um, that sort of is uh, encapsulates um, our. Uh, purpose in our incarnation is to, you know, let this stuff uh, unfold and that seeing everything. Now, of course, at a certain point, you know, God willing, we've done enough spiritual practice in previous lives so that in this life we start to have an awareness that everything is, uh, as he says, grist for the mill of moving forward to become free, to become of some use to our fellow humans. Um, and and in the course of this evolution of of the incarnation, um, you know, you there's the internal inquiry: Who am I? As Ramana Maharshi's uh, teachings are so much about, um, and and so there's an interesting example here of um, around consciousness, and um, and the example is reading. Uh, you're reading a paper. And you're so intently reading that paper, somebody clumps in, walks in, and you don't realize that they're there. In fact, you're surprised they're suddenly in the room. Isn't That's an interesting thing. I mean, I was at a grocery counter uh, checking out uh, yesterday, and uh, there was a little bit of a line, so I decided to pull out my phone, and I'm reading an email or whatever, text, and I'm completely oblivious to everything. Suddenly I hear, sir, sir. Do you, would you like to check out? And there's no one in front of me, and she's obviously been doing this more than once, and I 
was not aware. I was too busy involved with my, uh, with th- through my eyes, my consciousness through my eyes, that the whole auditory sensation sh- uh, just shut down. You know, so um, you know, uh, somewhere along the way, whoever I was, whoever you were, was not attending to the ears hearing. There was nobody home listening, too busy seeing through the eyes, as I said. So who, whomever you are, you are not the sense of hearing in that instance. That's a perfect example. And you can do that with all the senses where you, um, uh, you're absolutely unaware in any one moment because you're caught up in another sense you're you're distracted enough so that you're completely oblivious and then the next uh, so so taking that one step further is doing you know we start to do spiritual work and and the idea of that work is to become detached from the sensor the senses and not be attached to them and of course the the, the most difficult one for all of us is our thoughts. And and to get to the point where thoughts are doing their thing, but you are not attached to having to think. You know, that's, uh, of course, that's a very powerful place, and, and that's in and that's where meditation comes in so strongly for us to, uh, first to be able to get uh, one-pointed, uh, and be able to not get pulled monkey mind by every thought, and then of course at the same time non-judgment and compassion for ourselves, for our human selves. Once you start to mix all of that up, and then that uh, awareness that you are not having to be attached to th- to those thoughts. And that is a very, very freeing moment. So uh, this is great talk. Uh, and uh, he, there's one other interesting thing. In, in this, he, he talks about, in the beginning, he talks about uh, the package that you get when you're born into this incarnation. It's like uh, a computer developed that package and gave you, you know, the program for your life. And uh, later on, he describes uh, Maharaji, he describes uh, my guru, our guru. And he says, the best way that I can describe him is as pure awareness. And, you know, of course, when Maharaji told Ramdas that his mother had died of spleen, her spleen got big, you know, spleen cancer, and that's when he completely broke down. That was that... Um, completely transformational moment. So, and he says, he wasn't, he wasn't telling me, meaning Ram Dass, he wasn't telling me that, uh, you know, he wasn't thinking, geez, I'm going to tell Ram Dass this thing and that's going to blah, 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 do this, that, or the other. There was no, there's no self anything. You know, that's what pure awareness is. It's just, that was the thing that, his karma, Ramdas's karma, required. And basically, he was just being a functional entity 
to do the thing that was necessary to free him, which is what a guru is. And, and when he talks about this computer thing, I remember first meeting Maharaji, and one of the first things, you know, and we're talking, I mean, Ramdas talks about a computer back in the, you know, he's, what's it, 1973? Well, that's when Steve Jobs was actually in India before he had the concept of the personal computer. And uh, he was in India actually looking for Maharaji right at that time. Kind of really strange coincidence. Um, but uh, I remember thinking, and maybe I didn't have the term computer, but it, I remember thinking, this is just, this is not a, a human the way that I've known humans before, that, that give and take and reactivity and all of that. This is an entity, is a good word, that just is doing the right thing, whatever was necessary, in, in my case, for me to become who I am, to become free to become a loving uh, person, to become a kind person, whatever. I'm still working on all that, as everybody knows. Uh, but I, I love that and how he describes that because that's really what this uh, what Maharaji represents. Anyhow, this is a great uh, a talk and, and some great explanations around reincarnation and, and the um, evolution of an incarnation. And I want to remind everybody before I get off and uh, we listen to this talk uh, to uh, continue to support uh, Ramdas.org and the Love Serve Remember Foundation the way that you that everybody's been doing. We have, and somebody said, "Hey, can you tell us who who's listening? Who's listening to this podcast?" And uh, meaning, you know, is there a few people? A lot of people. And uh, I haven't looked at the latest metrics. I have to get our guy, Noah Lampert, to uh, give a, a little bit of hand uh, on that. Uh, but I do believe it's, uh, it's uh, uh, over 20,000, maybe 25,000 people. Could be more. And so there is quite a, a, a satsang that uh, we're sharing with here. And, and I think that's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it... It uh, is something that uh, when Ramdas and I talk about this, especially around the podcast, because uh, they, um, you know, podcasts are relatively new in the last few years, and I think more and more people are catching on. So uh, it's a, it's a, it is a great way for us to share, and we appreciate it, and we appreciate the support uh, that you that you are giving, and allows us to continue. Uh, and I'll probably talk about this incredible new batch of uh, uh, of uh, content of media that we've gotten uh, to complete our media library that we are now making a big push to uh, to make available in a way that's going to be useful for everybody. So uh, thank you, and um, I will see you next time around. And here is Ramdas here and now. Now I'm going to go way out and jump into the Indian system, which I know is going to be hard for all of you to deal with because um, I'm going to deal with things like reincarnation. And you've got to understand that reincarnation, for example, was thrown out of the doctrine, say, of the Christian church in the councils of Nicaea, Trent, and Constantinople in 586 A.D. and prior to that because it didn't fit in with the way the church could work with people in the church. Right? But prior to that, in Christ's day, reincarnation was certainly uh, understood uh, the way it, 
I'm sure is, by the way. Now, um, within this system, which I'm now going to give you, is this too heavy or is everybody with it? You can... <clears throat> okay, within this system, um, <clears throat> each of us, each of us uh, is an entity, an entity. Now, how we got to be entities is another question. We can discuss that later. But at the moment, we are entities, and there are individual differences in each of us at the entity level. And you could call these individual differences, if you wanted to translate it into Western science, you'd call it like the DNA code. We have different uh, programs. We're like, two, we're like individual differences in programs. And just think of it as program stuff. That's all we are, just program stuff. Okay? And that program stuff has a, a thing it has to work out. It's working out stuff, which in the Indian system is called karma, which is the working out, it's like, um, a, like an acorn has in it the oak tree. And the oak tree is going to work out of the acorn. And it's the same game. It's all lawfully determined in that stuff that it's going to work out. Just like in the, in the sperm cell that your father injects into your mother is a whole program along with what's in your mother. And those programs determine a whole set of factors, much more than just your hair color and your your body size and so on. It, it, it determines a lot of psychological factors as well. But this one is even farther out than that because it not only determines your physical body and psychological body, but this determines whole lifetimes, right? And so what happens, in fact, is this being, which in the West we would call a soul, right? That's the way you can be familiar with it. This soul has the need to take a certain kind of incarnation, a certain kind of body. It takes a certain kind of birth, right? So each of us, each of us has been born into a birth. That's different from saying, I am this. This is the package in which I am, okay? I'm giving you now the models in which you can understand how to get free of the thing by understanding what you got in. But in order for the package to work, You've got to get lost into the illusion that you are the package. Otherwise, it won't work. Okay? So the way the incarnation works is you get born into the birth, and at the moment of birth, the veil drops, and you are the... Arr! You know, and you're looking for the breast, and you're, you are back in it again, right? And as far as you're concerned, it's the first time you've ever been in it, and you don't know from nothing about anything that went on before because the drawer dropped and you're going to run through the whole thing just as if this is my life, okay? Right? And you're just, you're just running off a program, this is my life, this is my life, okay? And you're totally identified with your package. You're totally identified with your package, right? The veil is only complete up to the point where... Um, see, here's the, the predicament is that if you understood the full significance of the thing you were doing at the moment, you wouldn't do it the way you need to do it in order to work through the stuff that was programmed into that thing. In other words, if you've got to go through, say, a certain amount of anger and suffering and strife and so on, if you had that other level of consciousness that came if the veil hadn't dropped, you never would have done the stuff that would have burned out that thing, right? In other words, it is necessary that the thing go through that veil. It's like... Um, if you're going to paint a car and you send it into a shop, you've got to drop the door, otherwise the paint will spray and the thing won't get a perfect coating of paint. 
So for the thing to work, it's got to be encased in veil. It's got to be encased. It's got to be boxed in. It's like a, it only works in a closed compartment. That's the only way the birth runs off. Now, I'm sorry, that's a very crude way of describing it. I know it's frustrating to you. If I can think of a better example along the way, I will. All right, because I'm sure there is a better example to describe. <clears throat> because it's a, if a baby grew, uh, uh, is born who is aware of the whole trip, like say some old llama happens to take a birth again, see, and is sitting there an old llama just in this baby's body, see, it looks at the whole thing and says, well, far out. See, and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't drink or eat or anything because there's no sense because it understands what a human birth, what the trip is, and it has no desire to stay in it. And I'll explain that in a minute to you, why that is. And thus, what, that's what are called blue babies. And blue babies are what scientists are always fascinated by. They're babies who are born who don't seem to have any desire to live. They're just born and they don't eat and they don't do anything. They don't develop any personality. They just die. They turn blue and they die. And there's a certain percentage of babies that are born, they can't find any physiological thing wrong with them. The whole reincarnation may have been fulfilled by the fetal period or by the first birth process or something like that, right? Because it isn't clear that everybody has an 80-year span or any length of span before they finish whatever they had to do in this incarnation. That's why when somebody dies, as far as I'm concerned, well, they finish their round, right? It's just another round. And you've got to, if you want to really go out a little farther, I mean, I'll push as hard as we can push. If, um, when you look at the planes of consciousness, starting from, if you think of seven planes of consciousness, starting from the inner one, which is the zero or the void or empty space and going out and out and out, and we are the seventh plane out, you go in just three planes into the fourth plane, and at that plane, you have transcended time and space. At that point, there is no time and space, okay? That is, only in the fifth, sixth, and seventh plane do you experience progression in time and space. So that while I am talking about incarnations as if they were in time, they actually are not. They are only from where we're looking at them, they are in the illusion of time, okay? But back a few of them, they all are. They're like piled on top of one another. Just like Harry Reasoner and Howard K. Smith are all right here now, every incarnation you ever were or ever will be is already right here, okay? That, now, I'm still explaining to you how this guy knows, right? Because, right? <laughs> now, you go through birth after birth after birth after birth, and in almost every birth, you never awaken in the course of the whole birth. You go through the whole birth thinking that you're real and that this is what you are and you totally identify with your package and when you die you say no I don't want to die save me save me save me and sorry the grim reaper has come and taken you away and you die and, and then the minute you die you say oh far out was that what that was about well I finished off that bit of work see and now I look I've got to do this one it's like uh, doing crossword puzzles or uh, you know like I got to finish off this well I think now I'll take a birth as a you know as a bloop 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 you know as a as a uh, street mendicant in Banaras, India, right? Uh, with a syphilitic mother and, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, it's that far out that the whole thing is incredibly designed. I mean, uh, it's so exquisite. Now, it isn't like, there isn't, it isn't exactly like you sit and say, I think I'll take that. It's all like an incredible computer. I mean, the thing is just so incredibly designed. And don't even get computer model, because that's even too rational. It's much farther out than that. But it, it is all perfect in the way that 
every part of the birth you are taking is part of the unfolding or the working through of the stuff you need to do. There is not one experience you are having or could have or had have, have had that is not part of that process. Not a possibility of it either. Not even a possibility of it. Okay, now, all right, you're going through round after round after round after round after round. Buddha calls it the wheel of births and deaths. You just go on and on and on and on. And each time you think it's real and you go through your whole melodrama, it's like, it's like you go on stage to play Shakespeare and you're going to play Macbeth, see? And you get into Macbeth and you really think you're Macbeth, see? And for those two hours on stage, you really think you're Macbeth. And then the curtain goes down and everybody says, okay, take off your makeup. See, and you're done with Macbeth. Now, tomorrow night, we're playing Twelfth Night, you know. And the next night, we're playing another thing. And it's that way. I mean, we're running through these different uh, storylines, storylines, melodramas, melodramas. We each have our melodrama. Right? There is a point that occurs in this sequence because the, the sequence is not non-directional. The sequence is directional. The sequence is directional in that everything you're working off each time is making a little thinner those veils that close down each time and that lock in during the entire birth. And it gets to the point that you take a certain birth in the whole sequence of births when somewhere along the birth the things, the, the, the flip of the waiting shifts and you see through the veil, you get through, and you, for a moment, you awaken to the realization that this birth was just another birth, right? That this reality, which seemed like reality, is just another reality, okay? And at that moment, now that may have come through, um, um, it might have come through dope, it might have come through, as I say, childbirth, it might have come through a love affair, it might have come through, it just might have come in Buddhism through a leaf dropping or something, it depends on where you are when that happens. It can be at any moment. It can come through depression or despair, something that usually shakes you a little bit and is you're just ready at that moment and you flip. And at that moment, you awaken to your predicament. But most people, the first awakening is so discontinuous with everything else, all their other habits of thought, that they reject it, okay? Because they can't handle it. And they push it away and they immediately lock back in and they may spend another birth or two just having these little flickering moments of, wow, or I was crazy, or, you know, or something weird just happened to me, or my whole life just went before my eyes, or something like that, these little flip-out experiences, right? But in each birth, the likelihood of awakening gets better and better. And at some birth, at some birth in this sequence, which is unidirectional, which everybody is going through, this is the process of human evolution, of evolution of consciousness. At some point, you awaken to the predicament of what you are doing here, of the whole business of having taken an incarnation. And when that starts, then the whole name of the game changes. Then the meaning of your life changes from then on. The whole thing starts to become something different. And the work you do from then on, and the meaning of every act you perform starts to be different from that point on. Once that awakening starts, once you begin to realize who you are, see, when I look at another human being, here's the predicament. Like, I was raised as a Westerner, as a psychologist, and I was taught individual differences so that you got, so that you thought of yourself in certain categories. I have a name, a number, a height, a weight, a color, an education, etc. 
and you look at other people and you can categorize people as different from one another. But now I've gotten to the point where because it's like changing your focus or instead of looking at channel seven, you're looking at another channel so that when I look at human beings, I'm always roughly seeing the same being. I'm seeing the same being who is manifesting in these different forms to work out their work. See, because the game looks, if you look at it as a pyramid, it goes from one of us, one of us, to down to many of us, which still has no bodies or beings, and then those many of us are going through all these trips, life after life after life. So now when I look at you and I see gray hair or white shirt, am I seeing, like, am I saying, ah, you're a white shirt? No, I say, you're wearing a white shirt. Well, now, if I look at you, am I saying, ah, red hair? Or am I saying, you're wearing red hair or red mustache? See? Or if I look at you, I say, man, or you're wearing man. See, where, at what level do you say, oh, no, I'm not wearing it, that's who I am, see? At what level going in? Clothing, body, personality, where? And you get back into that individual being, the soul, those individual souls, that's still more of the melodrama, if you will. And you go back behind that and you come to the place where you're always looking at the same being, which is yourself, there's only one of us. That's what you're saying about God created man in his own image. <clears throat> that finally there is only one of us here. See? And that all we are doing now in when we are fully conscious is talking to ourselves. That's what's so far out about it. See? We are only under the illusion we are all in these separate little games talking to each other as if we were different kinds of people. And I got my trip and you got yours. And the work is the process of getting behind and behind and behind and behind. Now, if you can imagine somebody who has no longer got any attachment to their particular physical plane trip, all right? Like, let me say, show you what that means. Um, like, um, imagine, for example, you're reading a newspaper and you get so deep in reading the newspaper that somebody walks in the room and you don't even hear them walk in the room because you were so busy reading. I'm sure most people have had that experience of being so involved in something that you don't notice something else happening. Or you get so involved in talking, you eat a whole meal and you never even noticed you ate it. You've had that happen, I'm sure. Uh, now, all that means, like, let's say it's the example of reading and somebody walks in the room. They walked in the room, clump, 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 and you didn't even hear them, and you're surprised when you find they're in the room. Now, you didn't hold your ears, so their clump, clump, clump was making waves in the air, or however sound is transmitted. Your, your auditory nerve was being stimulated. It was sending its messages. Your nervous system was doing its thing. Somewhere along the way, whoever you were was not attending to your ears hearing, okay? There was nobody home listening to the ears hearing because you were too busy looking out at your eyes seeing, okay? So you couldn't hear your ears hearing. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. So you're obviously, whoever you are, you're not your ears hearing because you didn't lose your identity just because your ears, you weren't hearing your ears hearing. Although they were doing their hearing, you weren't attending to them hearing, okay? Now imagine, if you will, that through discipline and through a certain techniques and through a level of evolution in this process, you get to the point where your ears can go on doing their hearing, but you're not caught in having to listen. Your eyes go on doing their thing, but you're not caught in having to look. Your nose is doing its thing, but you're not attached to having to smell. 
Your tongue is doing its thing, but you're not attached to having to taste. Your skin and body and um, locomotion is doing its thing, but you're not attached to having to feel. And one more, your thoughts are doing their thing, but you're not attached to having to think. And that's the one. Ah, uh, there's the rub. See, there's the tricky one. Because most people, you can extricate yourself because it's only at that point when you have extricated yourself See, and you've got to realize all of Western science is based on the statement, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, which is based on the idea you are your thoughts. And the funny thing is that's a fallacy. I am and there is thinking is the way it is. And so when you extricate yourself from sense after sense, and that's what yoga is about, you go back in and in. One second, let me just finish the sentence. You go back in and in and in and you go behind sense after sense after sense, and then you're left just with your thinking mind, and then you get to the point where through exercise, you go back in and you get to the point where you're sitting behind your thinking mind, watching your mind think, okay? You're back behind it. Now, at that point, if you are still somebody watching your mind think, you are still a thought. See the predicament, right? I mean, it's very subtle. And there is a place that you go back in there where you flip over, where you go into another flip of the television dial, where you flip into another space, where you become just what would be called pure awareness. You no longer have any fixed locus. You're no longer stuck in time and space. Now, this means at the lowest levels, you flip from channel, say, seven to four, and you flip, say, just into another plane where now you are merely, say, your subtle body. You're a subtle body that can move with thoughts. So you say, I wish I were, bloop, and you're there. And I wish I knew what was going on here, and you're there. That's the first level. That's called astral travel, and that's all what are called psychic powers, and that's all part of that game, all right? That's still low level, by the way. I mean, it's far out, and I can't do it, but it's still low level. I'm just giving you the whole picture of the thing, right? Keep going out on the trip, though, see? and you get finished with being anybody attached to being anywhere, and then you're coming to the place where the father and the son are one, my father and I are one, that place where there is literally nowhere where you are and there is nowhere where you're not. And to describe my guru to you, the closest I can say to you is that he is simply what would be called pure awareness. There isn't anybody there on any plane. And that he isn't telling me about my mother's spleen because he says, I think I'll tell him about his mother's spleen. That'll blow his mind. He's telling me about his mother, my mother's spleen because that's the thing that my karma required it to do to do a certain thing to me. And he's merely a functional entity just functioning that way. There's nobody home. And he not only, he is my mother's spleen. That's the closest way I can say it. You know, he doesn't know my mother's spleen. He is my mother. Since he lives behind the fourth plane, he is not in time and space. So present, past, and future are all here. And here and there are all here. There is no part of the universe conceivable that he isn't. And, there is no, and this is true of every one of us. When we finally get finished being who we thought we were, now you understand the statement, who you think you are? See? 
Like the only thing that's ever going to die when you die, you'll finally figure out after you go around enough, the only thing that dies is the thought of who you think you are. That's all that dies. See, and that's exactly, it's absolutely true that um, to the extent that you go from this plane on the physical plane where you're using your senses, and then you pull yourself back from your senses and your thought, and you go into another plane, to the extent that you are stuck in that plane and not in this plane, you are indeed schizophrenic, or you're psychotic, or you're crazy in relation to this plane, right? And from that plane, this plane looks crazy, okay? Now, the fully conscious being doesn't stop at that point. The game, ultimately, a fully conscious being is not stuck on any plane, but there is no plane they are not at either, right? In other words, I could be sitting talking to you right here now, just like I look like a real person sitting here talking to you now. And at the same moment, I could be everywhere else simultaneously. And there would be no way you would know that unless you also were. That's what's far out about it. All right? Can you hear what I'm trying to say to you? That there are... That a fully conscious being doesn't look crazy. They don't look like they've rejected this plane because they're right here too. But it's this too, not this only. That's the difference. It's this too. Okay. That all the other channels in the television set are available to a conscious being as well as this one. Okay. For example, you experience on the physical plane that you have free will, don't you? You really think you decided to come here instead of the ball game, and you think you're deciding, and you're going to decide this, and you're deciding to write a letter, and you're deciding, and you decide when to shit, and you decide when to eat, and so on. Okay. And one level back from that, the whole thing is programmed and running off. You're just like Charlie McCarthy just runoff okay now to know that it's runoff that's true and it is also true that you experience free will and you think you're doing something so that in a funny way free will and determinism are both equally true they're just true in relatively different planes so that I sit for example I all day long I will decide after this I will say okay now I got to catch a plane and I will go to the airport and I'll get on a plane and I'll do that I'll do you want this or this? No, I think I'll have this. Would you like coffee, tea, or a Sprite? I'll have Sprite, thank you. And I'm making decisions and decisions, and to me, the whole thing is a complete joke. There's another place in me that's just watching the runoff, like I'm looking at an old late-night movie, right, of my own life unfolding before my very eyes. And the only thing that interests me about my life is, I wonder how it came out. See? I mean, and it's the most, it's almost a trivial academic interest. That's all I can say. It's almost trivially academic. It isn't quite, uh, gee, I wonder how it's going to come out, you know. And the interesting thing that, the, 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 that is once I saw the, what the game was about, I began to reassess the meaning of the things that were going down in my life. And I looked, for example, back on all the times when I went through all kinds of incredible suffering trips and I suddenly looked at the kind of more grand design of it. I said, oh, far out. That's what that's about. Wow. Far out. Like I met, I recently was with Huey Newton. And Huey and I have become very good friends. And we looked into, Huey's connected with the Black Panthers. And Huey and I looked into each other's eyes. And he's right here. He's absolutely clear. He's very straight cat. Very, very straight. And I said, hey, Matt, Huey, how did you get so straight? You know, I mean, like I've been working in India and all my... How did you get so straight? He said it was solitary. Far out. They put him in solitary because he wouldn't play the game. 
and in the course of solitary, he was forced to go inward. And in the course of going inward, he got into a deeper and deeper space so that when I meet him, he's not busy being Huey Newton, he's not busy being black, he's not busy being angry, he's not busy being anything. He's just right here. And it blew my mind to find him right here. And more and more, I am finding more and more people who when I look into their eyes, we're right here. You here, I'm here, far out. Here we are in all these different bodies doing all these different trips. Well, what are we going to do today? Well, I don't know. What do we do? Because back in here, here we are, see? And the interesting thing is you begin to recognize that when you start to think of like what, like Gurdjieff talked about, what is imprisonment? Who's in prison? The prison is the prison of consciousness. The prison is the prison. Like everybody I know, almost everybody I know is totally imprisoned. Yeah. Granted, there is external freedom and there is internal freedom. And I understand the difference and I'm sure you do too. And at the same moment, I also can understand that most of the people, quote, on the outside are no more free than the people on the inside are. Because prison is a prison of the mind, and, when the, and the true freedom is the freedom when you figured out what the game is about. And until then, you are still caught in the prison of the incarnation. What's the end of it? Okay. The end of it is that you cease to exist. The end of it is that everything, all that acornness that had to become oak is used up and there is no more acornness and therefore no more oak and therefore you just go back into the one and then it's just all is again, it's just consciousness and there's no manifestation. Not a very appealing end, is it? See, But I'm describing that the thing, it's like the way Maya Baba talks about it is it's, it's God taking going into illusion in order to awaken back to knowing itself before it merges back into the one. It's all the dance of one with itself. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.